Hi there and welcome to this week's edition of the Leading Conversation. This week we chat to Ben Ryan. Ben has been head coach of both the England and the Fijian Sevens rugby teams with one of his greatest achievements being winning Olympic gold at the 2016 Games. He even wrote a book called Sevens Heaven, The Beautiful Chaos of Fiji Rugby, which I think would be well worth a read. Ben now consults to teams and organisations as well as having a passion for trying to promote rugby union in state schools in the UK. Ben's stories and storytelling is captivating. He had to navigate no pay for six months. He had some pretty difficult bosses, to put it lightly, in both England and Fiji. And he had to really deal with a hell of a a culture shock moving from the Northern Hemisphere to a small island in the Pacific Ocean. He recounts his story so well and I also found myself wanting to take notes and notes and notes for my own work as he definitely didn't have it all easy. Enjoy this wonderful conversation. Right, good afternoon. Lovely to see uh, both of you today, Carl. Uh, nice to be recording this on Youth Day. Um, <laughs> how have how you, you been this week? Yeah, very relaxed. Uh, after a couple of days of heavy rain, we got, uh, we're got back to sunshine again. And uh, this bloody Cape Town weather is so confused. Uh, we're supposed to be at the height of winter, but you know we have another 25 degree day today. So African problems, huh? Marvelous, marvelous, and Ben, lovely to, to to see you and chat to you today. What a what a privilege it is for us to be talking to an Olympic gold medalist. Tom, it's good to be good to be on as well. I've listened to the last couple of podcasts; they've been ace. I really enjoyed them, so uh, hopefully, I won't disappoint. Or I'll try not to. No, not at all. You definitely <laughs> would. You definitely would. Um, yeah, it's exciting to have another rugby coach. I mean, obviously, Fiji, England, uh, and now doing a lot of work and consulting and keynote speaking and what have you, which I'm sure we'll get into. So it'll be looking nice to have someone with so many different facets uh, to them. Um, but just start us off, Ben. Just just tell us a bit about Ben Ryan. Crikey. Uh, well, I guess like my love of sports started when I was about six. My mum, my mum took me to mini rugby. So I was playing football on Saturdays, rugby on Sundays. And, and that was that really. My dad was an international javelin thrower um, and I was a 400 metre hurdler and, and ran, ran at a high level uh, as a junior at Thames Valley Harriers. Um, and, then, and then, yeah, bits and bobs, played decent level of rugby um, but moved around a lot. So I think I played 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 at the, in the top two leagues. Um, and I kind of enjoyed um, doing things slightly differently, I guess, and, and the fun of it, really. Um, so that was me. I got injuries when I played in the, when the, league, when the game went pro in 96, 7. Um, I was in that first court of tranche of players, I guess, that... Um, that you know, you suddenly had all this time on your hands, but nobody really knew what to do with it, and you just ended up spending more time drinking cups of tea in the gym. And uh, I, I definitely didn't lift any weights, and <laughs> uh, uh, and then I got a few bad injuries. Um, and in one of my last um, contracts, they wanted to make the most out of the money they were paying me because I was injured, so they farmed me out to a school to to do some coaching at a school, and and that's where my bug started really for coaching. And then I went into an inner city London school where I taught PE and I, and I, and I coached uh, football. Uh, and then I went to a big boarding school where St. Edward's Oxford, where my first team included James Forrester, who played, ended up playing number eight for England. Um, and they had a, I was really lucky that first team I coached were brilliant and very successful. And then that kind of paid my way. And then I worked my way up the coaching and did my levels, um, coach club, um, coached um, age group um, all at 15s and then 
took a team Newbury into the from the kind of third tier to to the second tier, um, and we played a very high risk um, attacking game, attacking style, and that kind of got me on the England radar, and they got me coaching England amateur fifteen um, England age groups, and then they asked me to apply for the under twenties coach, and um, there were two of us applied for the that they asked to apply me and a guy called Mark Mapletoft and uh, the sevens, Mike Friday just had just walked out of the sevens job. So suddenly two jobs became a, a, available and they said, look, Ben, you've got a bit more sevens background. So why don't you do this for a year and then we'll revisit it. And a year came and we both were enjoying what we we're doing. So I got stuck with sevens and I guess the rest of it, you, you know a little bit more about. Awesome. Thank you. It's an interesting one because I was reading that one of your missions is to try and get more state schools playing rugby. Um, yeah. So I, I, I heard you say, you know, and then another thing I saw you say was, um, you know, you almost enjoyed Fiji more than England. Um, yeah. And in your, is, so there's a little bit of a, the, the rough time and the, the tricky space you seem to be attracted to. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I, I've, I've always been a little bit militant, Tom. Um, and maybe it's the ginger hair, you know, uh, <laughs> something that you've always felt that you're a little bit of an outsider. Um, and I, I went to a state school um, and in my, I, I think I am still just about the last professional player to, to come out of the school. Um, but, and it's the, biggest, it's the biggest boys school in London, comprehensive. And even in my team, probably half the boys were better than me. But just lack of opportunity, um, distraction, focus, um, other stuff growing up in South London. And so, um, yeah, you see, the, you see the opportunity that sport can give. And in rugby in particular, state schools are hardly touched in England. You know, we've only got a couple of boys coming through the system now, like your Carl Sinclair's. Um, and there's so much talent there. And, and I'd just love to be able to start to bring rugby into the state system to just, yeah, just give 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 more people more of an opportunity to play the game we love what would need a change for that to happen Ben? Uh, resource and op- uh, resource and opportunity really you know um i think you need a good entry level game rugby's not that simple to start off you know you can go with your mate with a ball and play basketball one on one you can play football on your own against the wall and you can have a lot of fun doing that you can't really do that so much with rugby you know you need a group of people and and obviously the laws of the game are more convoluted and complicated so a standard PE teacher if he's never played rugby before he's not going to understand it or or want to coach it so we need to like make it as simple as possible that's why I love rugby x you know I think it's a great opportunity to bring that into state schools you know keep it really simple um as Carl will know playing for the barbarians in it you know there were good and bad stuff from that tournament um and I think we want to play around with the laws of the game um to make it even better and easier um we've still got some work to do on that but I think we owe it to the sport to create a way of playing the game that just makes it an easier entry point, really, for more people to, to get involved and then move through the system into 15s. Ben, just quickly on, on that, is there, I mean, is there ever a non-contact option? I mean, if we're trying to draw as many people into rugby and enjoy rugby uh, without... I mean, I think there's a lot of fear from people that don't play rugby. And I know this is very much a rugby-specific conversation for these five minutes. But is there a non-contact option that gets people? I mean, I, I watched that one video with Jerry and they play that. Was it? The, the, yeah. They just throw the ball around. 
Yeah, the the one the the one touch that we play in in practice um, that Jerry played was called Rondo. It's a Rondo. It's an adapted practice from uh, went to watch uh, Barcelona Academy the Masia um, train, and uh, it was a one touch that I kind of used for um, used for rugby. And yeah, it's it's all about you know in football we talk about your first touch being crucial, but we never talk about that in rugby. So it was it was, it was around that. But kind of like I mentor uh, kids that are coming out of gang exit program in, in North London and, you know, 14, 15 year old kids, they want they want to whack something legally and yeah. get some get some of that um, energy out. And so I think rugby, you know, being able to to to, to be to be physical, but within the boundaries of the laws of the game, I think, yeah, it teaches you some good some good values and behaviours going forward. So um, as well as, you know, getting rid of some of that, some of that pent up frustration and anger. So I think that's why I'd like to keep it at contact as, a, as still as an entry level. But sure. yeah, there are options to do touch rugby. Hmm. Um, just the Jerry you're talking about, it's obviously Jerry Tua, the, the Fijian player, just for those who aren't as first in the seventh yeah. scene. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about <laughs> no, that. No. <laughs> don't, don't, don't give me a hard time two weeks here. It's like, listen, if you're going to start using names in the seventh <laughs> world, then you have to let people know who it was. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, just go Google Jerry Tuai. He's an incredible, incredible human being and, uh, yeah, a phenomenal rugby player. So. Yeah, he's a good example, actually. You know, like, like rugby gave him an opportunity to um, change his life. You know, he, he, would, he, said, he said publicly he would have probably ended up in prison. Um, he was a bit of a lookout for gangs doing things they shouldn't have been doing in Fiji when he was younger and he came from a, a settlement in Fiji called Newtown. Um, a tough place, I think everyone thinks. If you live in Fiji, you've got to be on the golden beaches and, and life's a ball, but it's a third world country. So um, you're on the breadline and, and Jerry's family were, were very much the, uh, in that in that mould. So uh, rugby gave him his way out, you know, and he, he famously had um, knife and fork written under his, his boots in the Olympic Games, you know, and it, and that came from, a, from his mum and dad saving up to buy his first pair of rugby boots and going without food and, and handing his left boot to to Jerry saying this is your knife handing his right boot saying this is your fork and saying this is what you're going to use to put food on the table for us now I know in South Africa you'll have similar stories about how rugby's changed their lives but in, in Fiji you know no one comes from from um, from money you know the the rich kid was Osea Kulinasau you know, and he had to take it in turns to go to school because his dad could only afford the bus fare of, I think, two out of the three brothers and sisters. Um, and he was our rich kid, you know. So they all very much uh, came from from poor background and a little bit of money made a huge amount of difference. Ben, um, we, uh, we explored um, the topic of drive with Paul True when I was, when I was playing, so a good, good couple of years ago. And we would, we sat down and Paul said, you know, what's your, this is now exploring drive and why, your reason why, what you're doing things for and what motivates you. And, you know, at the time you, you think it was a bit of a joke, but uh, I'd never seen it firsthand. I never understood it very well. But Paul would say to us, you play against Fiji, guys. All right. So you come from your Model C, what we have, uh, I don't know how to explain, but Model C school. Um, we, I went to a boys' school, all boys' school, in you know the foot of Table Mountain. Never really struggled for too much, you know. Life was pretty good, and uh, made my way through the system. And I'm playing, um, and whether I win or lose, it's not a, it's not a hell of a big deal for my life, you know. Um, versus, then, then he would say, "You playing against a Fijian kid, you know, who comes from an island, and this is his only way to support his family, or his only way off the island." 
Those are his two options when playing rugby, you know, for his country and representing. And if you now weigh up that level of motivation for achievement, um, it was pretty scary. And that put things into quite, you know, quite a bit of perspective for us, or at least for a couple of us that could empathize with the situation. But it was, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible what the guys do. And I know I've, I've heard you chat about the simplicity of it all, where, where you spoke about in certain setups, they... You know, there's just more and more and more fluff and things that are added on top. Yeah. And when you know, when you went over to Fiji, how everything was just stripped away, and the simplicity of it all was was what made it beautiful and what actually made it work better than most places. Yeah, that's it. And 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 you know, getting to simple isn't always that easy. You know, having the basic foundations and and having a a simple framework is difficult to do sometimes. But yeah, the boys were a a, a pleasure, a joy. And yeah, like their why, and I think it's really important, whoever you're working with um, or coaching or um, teaching or, or in business looking after, you know, you find out what their why is, what their drives are. And, um, and that would just help unearth some of their characteristics, their behaviours. You'll have deeper conversations with them because you'll be able to relate to them on a, on a, on a better level. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I never got that with, you know, some of the boys in England came from poor backgrounds, but... But that was an exception rather than the norm. And, you know, I'm coming into to Fiji and I've got to recalibrate all of my thinking, you know, ha- having a go at someone that looks like they've just run out of puff from a fitness test as soon as they get in. And then, you know, Rapati, my manager, will say it's probably because they haven't eaten today, you know, or over the weekend they'd had one meal. And when they come into camp, suddenly they can get three square meals a day. And and uh, you just saw them like literally their eyes brightened and they could get a good night's sleep and the basics you know and I remember Chris Cracknell in his final year when we did a we did a kind of values meeting and ask what's important now he'd done one of those in England and they came up with family as as nearly everybody else does and then they talk <laughs> about money and various other things and and the Fijian boys said shelter you know that was their their one thing you know and uh, you know the, the very basic tenants shelter and food um no, and we we wouldn't even put that as something because we just assume we'll always have it. Um, but with the Fijian boys, you know, that's why they were so easy to... That's why sevens, like, I know we're going off a, a bit of a tangent, but, you know, I've got apps on my phone like Calm and and I've yeah. got, you know, I, I play re- rain songs from the Amazon on loop to get us off to sleep at night and things like that, right? To to stay in the present, you know, and not worry about the the future or, or, or the past, the entire Fijian population are in the present because they never know what tomorrow will bring. So you can see that's why they play sevens like they do, right? They'll throw an outrageous offload or do something crazy. Why not? Why not? Why not? And then you just got to react to, to what follows. The, the bad side was if you're looking after a group of people that are always in the present, then you got to watch what they eat because that buffet <laughs> might go very quickly or that, that free bar. Um, and, you know, the pensions, you know, and the guys that work in, in other areas of Fiji, you know, savings and things like that don't apply. But, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it was very different for me to go to that than what I had had with all the whistles and bells at the rugby union with all the money and all the, you know, everybody, so many people. And as, as you alluded to, so much noise in, in so many high performing systems and not enough signal. And so Fiji gave me just signal um, and and it kind of revitalized me. Ben, uh, t- just taking it back a little to when you were chatting about uh, connections and relationships. From the get-go, I mean, obviously not being able to speak the language. And I've 
uh, I've chatted to people often about, you know, they said, did you make any mates? You know, what about the Fijian guys? I said, well, I would love to make mates with the Fijian guys, but nobody speaks English. So it's, you know, it's very difficult. They, they seem like wonderful people. Uh, besides the part when they're trying to rip my head off on the field, they're awesome yeah. guys. But it was very difficult. It is very difficult to make a connection with the guys. And um, we've chatted in previous episodes about creating connections, obviously connections being the basis of a relationship, you know, trust the connection, the relationship. And that's how, you know, the, the system is formed and the family is formed and, and bonded closer together. Um, you know, I guess what I'm asking here is how on earth did you make those connections with, with the guys? I mean, firstly, the backgrounds that you both came from are vastly different, two different worlds completely. You couldn't get more different, you know, and then you're coming in there. Um, and it was funny, actually, you said earlier about being a ginger and being an outsider. So you kind of prepared about being, for, for being an outsider. <laughs> That's um, it. And you, you step into this world and, and again, you're an outsider and, uh, you know, it's the connection and then it's the respect and, uh, to, you know, as you, you being their new coach, um, how on earth did you build those, the, the foundations of those uh, connections? I think, I mean, if we can get these hints from you, I think it, it would be able to, to assist anybody in building connections. Sure. Um, well, look, the first thing that I did was I didn't want to come in and suddenly stick what I thought would be my blueprint for success immediately on top of everything without understanding the culture and the environment and the people I was working with. So I had to listen um, and that, that's, that's listen to conversations and listen to people, but also kind of listen with your eyes to see what's happening, what, what the environment looks like and um, to understand really, not to be able to answer questions, but to, to understand. And that took a while, you know, Samasoni Viri Viri, um, who got World Player of the Year in my first year, he didn't speak to me for three months. You know, he just raised his eyebrows. Um, and, and that was kind of the way because he saw that me as I'm the guy, white guy in charge. Therefore, whatever I say or do is right. And they just agree with me, nod their heads. If I said anything, like if I asked them any sort of question, just nod their heads. Cause a, I'm in charge and B, this is uncomfortable for them. They want to get out of Dodge as fast as possible. Um, and so, you know, you, you speak to coach, pick guys that have coached Fiji, um, after me or in other, other premiership teams with Fijians and they'll say yeah yeah he's great in meetings you know always nods his head saying you know he understands it all that's because he hates being in that meeting and he wants to get out you know and he hasn't understood any of that because he doesn't that's not how he learns he learns in different ways um and so I did I spent a long long time and then I had to get some cultural architects that were aligned with me I was very fortunate that Osea Klinasau had been kicked off the team um but in my first before my first tournament um, which was Gold Coast. I'd only got five days with the team. Nine selectors had picked the team. I didn't know any of them, but one of the lads broke his leg in training while in a tournament, actually, a couple of days before we went to Gold Coast. And I had this long list of players that I could pick. Oscar's name was on it. He's the only one I knew. So I said, I'll pick him. They said, no, you can't. He's a troublemaker. Uh, I said, well, you know, everyone starts in class with an A star and it's up to them to hang on to it. And had a conversation with him and his dad and we were very kindred spirits. We both felt we had points to prove. We both felt that we had been done some wrong. We had all this stuff that we were aligned and we could see that we could both be of mutual benefit to each other. And then my, my, my manager, Rapati, uh, Rapati Calvesi, um, he, he was, he was up my, my cultural kind of conduit, I guess, to, fast tracking me to understand things so rather than you know someone says something and I jump to a conclusion 
I just would let Ropati talk to me and I slowly unraveled it, you know, and, and somebody's missed training um, and not told me. And it's, and it's nothing to do with my original assumption about it. It's all the way down something else. And, and so those two guys made a massive difference to me. Thomas, don't we normally find this in everyday life? Like the, the assumptions are so far, our assumptions so far from what, what generally the idea of what happened actually is. Yeah, well, it's an interesting one because the way, isn't it, Ben, is that a new leader comes in and he or she gets the job because of their beautiful PowerPoint presentation that they put together. <laughs> and they sit in an interview. And I, in fact, I, I, I was recounted a story of a guy that I know who went for an international job, in not in rugby, in another sport. And um, he didn't get the job. Two reasons. One is is his PowerPoint and his presentation wasn't as impressive as the other guy, and two, mm. he wanted to spend too much time with his family. That's <laughs> yeah, why that's I didn't mental. Get, so I didn't get the job, um, and it's 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 amazing, you know, because you would say, well, well, we want work life balance, and it's about connection, not about content, and uh, yeah. So I think you you you're spot on, Carl. I, I wanted to I wanted to to pick. Uh, you talked about staying present. You've arrived in Fiji. You've not been paid, as I understand, for the first six months. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty interesting characters politically around you, mm-hmm. but but you've stayed put. Say more. Yeah. Well, I'd for a my first trip across, I didn't want to get too panicky about it. So I kind of said, right, let's just treat this as a bit of a holiday, you know? And if the first tournament um, and the first week it doesn't go well, well, we'll come home and that'll be that. Um, so I didn't get myself too 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 far ahead because I felt completely out of my out of my depth. I didn't, you know, it's alien culture to me in so many ways. And, and the boys looked talented, but they were super unfit. And not many of those from that first tournament really managed to make the cut going forward. Um, but I had I had also kind of like I had agreed that I was that was that was my side of the bargain. So when eventually they told me I wasn't going to get paid and and, you know, all the other stuff with, you know, the, the very tight alignment to government. And at the time that was a military dictatorship, um, it was difficult, you know, but you had to set your when when I did eventually start to uh, put in some foundations, um, then those couldn't get moved. Because if I suddenly, you know, if the army general comes in and tells me I've got to pick a couple of players and I and I give in to him, then I'm always going to be on the back foot with, with in that relationship and, and that standard. So um, when I did put things in place and they got agreed by everybody, then they 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 stayed in and anybody that broke those, then I wouldn't be protecting from from the consequences of that. OK, <laughs> so, wow. you, yeah, yeah. D- different. Um, tell us about the handshake with the um, prime minister. Uh, he was the dictator at the time. Um, yeah, he he. he uh, it was it was live on TV. I'd gone to watch the tournament first couple of days. I got there, and it was an invitation tournament um, with some international teams. And he was up in the stand with his bodyguards. Um, and I went up to say hello to to Frank, and uh, he he shook my hand and and smiled. He said, "Oh, I'm sure." Uh, I'm sure you're going to get given a lot of advice when, Bob, when you're over here by a lot of people. He said, "Don't listen to any of it unless it saves your life." And then he started to chuckle, and I, and I, I just wasn't quite sure how to take it, whether that was a veiled threat or was his attempt to, of a joke. And and uh, and I was always wary of Frank. Um, you know, we had a, a good relationship. Um, it's 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 
been kind of a bit iffy since I wrote my book, but um, I think it was a fair, um, fair, f- fair account of of from my side. Um, but he, you know, he he was a he was a he's a hard man, um, and he loved his rugby, um, and uh, yeah, that was a I had to up manage well, you know, and and uh, the RFU, my I wasn't very good at up managing, and I think it's something that we don't do particularly well. Um, I always used to think that it was you know my boss's job to manage me to tell me what my KPIs were, tell me when I was having my reviews, um, all that sort of stuff, and I guess I'd come from teaching where my headmaster that was what they did and your head of department or if you're head of department you did all of that um but really like up managing you can be proactive it's a two-way process you know you can you you can manage them as well um for your own benefit and also to get some planning put in place and be a bit proactive and and so my my shortfalls with the rfu and my infighting with them when i really wanted them to to do more than i thought they were doing at the time served me in good stead with a military dictator and a convicted murderer as my my two guys in charge um i had to up manage them and uh you know and we did a pretty decent job of that for the three years so that i would um i'd keep them happy but i'd also make sure that i only involved people that were involved Hmm. well firstly i want to say in researching for this podcast for this interview i came across a lot of expert excerpts from your book seven's heaven which i will be uh, purchasing after this because it seems absolutely fascinating i think people listening to this will do the same thing so um yeah i really look forward to reading that thanks for the plug yeah um (laughs) shameless daily telegraph i can plug for you yeah book of the year well we've sold the rights so the script's just been finished and uh it's it's loosely based on the on the on the on the book the film that will eventually get start rolling once um, once we're all out of lockdown i look forward to it so ben you talked about upwards managing i'd love i'd love to hear a little bit more in a practical sense around what changed from england to fiji for you what was your learning um i think it was i i took my eye off the ball um look i use the analogy that when we're when we're just starting off as coaches um, and for me, that was a inner city comprehensive school in in West London, two and a half thousand kids, um, and I'm teaching under thirteen football, um, and I'm moving my way through the system. When you start off as a coach, um, it's like being on a bicycle. Like it's it's a it's a terrible bicycle. It's probably only got a couple of gears. It's rusty. It doesn't go very fast. But you are in control, and you can decide which direction. And if you do hit something in the middle of the road, then next time you can navigate your way around it. And as as you go up the scale and you get more experience and you get bigger jobs and you get bigger teams that have got more money, that bike, that mode of transport slowly changes until I got to England and it is like this massive juggernaut and it goes really fast uh, in a straight line. But I don't feel I'm in control of it. I don't feel I'm driving it. I don't think I have any say in it being able to change direction. And I lost all my kind of autonomy as a coach I didn't feel I had any purpose. I didn't feel I had any status. I didn't feel I was having safe conversations with my bosses that what I would say, I didn't feel I could speak to them freely and not get judged. Um, and it really, it, I fell out of, out of love with, with rugby. And in my last year, um, you know, we had, we had a bit of a success. We won Wellington sevens and we got to the World Cup final in Moscow. But when I remember winning the semi-final against Kenya and, I, and I, I just wasn't excited, just didn't want to be there, wanted to go home. Um, 
and uh, Ben, and, we lost in the quarterfinals. I felt the exact same way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. You really shouldn't have lost that game, no, should you? But no, that, that's a, that's a common thread over the years. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and then Fiji gave me that. You know, gave me the ability to get back on that bike, and uh, it it was a wonky bike, but it it you know I could look at it and I could see that with the talent that we had. Um, put the foundations in and it it would be um it would get me it would remind me why I do what I do and that's to to mm. to help people become their best version get the best out of mm. people that's why I became a I teacher just want, I, I think I, I just wanted to and then I want to bring in Kyle and you because there's so much I want to know around when you were talking playing against each other but there's you know I, I can't let escape convicted murderer as one of your bosses and I, I, I forget the other the term that you used Dictator. But one of the dictators, sorry, dictator and convicted murderer. Um, one of the things that I read you say, uh, read that you said was, I believe you can create a happy, kind, and nice environment, but also ruthless. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if Carl's ever had that um, moment where he's looked to the side of a in a in a running onto the field with a Fijian team that are smiling at him. Um, and they, they look, they look, you know, and, and like Oscar will say, if you ever see a Fijian in the tunnel opposite you that's smiling, you better watch out because they know that they're going to be on point, you know. You know um, you're in for a long day then. Yeah, and, and it's that ability, you know, to be able to, if you have alignment and you, you're, you have a group of people that are over competent without being overconfident, then you can switch on when you need to, 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 to get the job done and be ruthless. Um, but it doesn't stop you. It doesn't mean suddenly with that, you can't be kind. You can't put other people first. You can't be nice to people. And and on our kind of our, our overall um, enveloping standard, our, our, whatever you, our value was uh, Velomani. And Velomani means um, uh, work, work together, love each other. And it's not like a value that you see when you walk into a, a club and it's written on the wall, you know, whatever their their mission statement is and then you know five minutes later you're seeing they're not adhering to those values in their day-to-day behaviors you can relate to it really quickly Velomani you know and and the boys owned it um so if they weren't doing something uh within their own group then then they 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 talked about Velomani and how uh how that connected to performance um so I, I think it's absolutely possible to be both ruthless and nice to people Ben, uh, to change change lanes a little, you you were chatting a little about autonomy as a coach and how you managed to gain a little bit of that back while going to Fiji, but I've also heard you talk so much about player empowerment, mm. you know, and and how does that how do the two fit hand in hand and what does player empowerment look like to you? You said that was one of your bases uh, to set up is player empowerment, and then from then on we can work. Yeah, that's right, and I I think it's one of those one of those things as a coach that I've got wrong uh, growing up as a a coach because I wanted as a player, as an athlete, as an individual, I always wanted my voice to be heard and be able to to do my thing, um, and I didn't want to be um, told what to do. Uh, but I also and and I want to, I want that with players, so I want people to feel their own value and to 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 do their thing and have a voice. But also as a young coach, sometimes you you, you kind of want everyone to like you and so if you're not careful you fall into that mistake of allowing people autonomy but then not picking them up on when um when there's when there's something that goes against the standard 
we we lost a bit of connection there, didn't we? Well, we were talking about. I guess we were talking about autonomy with players and in player yeah. empowerment. And I saying that's one of the things that I, that I wanted to always have, and I wanted that as a player and as an individual. I want to have my voice. Um, but um, as a young coach, I think it's easy to make a make it have a have a have a, a disproportionate um, uh, outcome. So I guess get it wrong is what I'm trying to say because you want. As a young coach, I wanted people to like me. Um, and sometimes that means that when you're creating empowerment for players, that you sometimes then, they, they sometimes, they're not used to it sometimes or they take it too far and, and they break what's been agreed. And as a young coach, sometimes I didn't pick, pick players up on that enough. Um, and I learned that lesson the harsh way by allowing players too much rope sometimes where you over-empower someone and then you don't pick them up on, on when they don't get things right. And... Um, and as I get more experience, then you put those, you put those those barriers in place, so players all understand, and management and coaches all understand um, where the guardrails are to what's been agreed. Mm. Mm. Um, Does that I, make sense? I can't, I kind of use I use a story right that I did a thing in Scotland recently where um, I don't know if I don't know what the if you've heard of the Fur for Fourth Bridge. Nope. So it's, not, it's a not. really t- it's so so think of the highest bridge in South Africa, right? Um, and uh, imagine driving over that bridge without any rails on either side of it. Um, and it, you know the Fur Fourth Bridge is a really windy bridge, right? And he's saying, well, would you drive over that bridge without any rails of any sides on it? And and the answer is probably no, or maybe slowly down the middle lane. And, and then if I ask them the same question, it's like, have you ever hit the side of any bridge? when you've dri- driven across it? And the answer is no. It's like, and actually you put the guardrails in to, for containment, for safety, for the people within that. So they can really drive fast in the middle and do their thing. Um, and you hope that they won't crash into the side of it. But if they do, there's a consequence. And that's the same when you set up your your culture, you create clear guidelines that have been agreed. And within that, you allow autonomy and all those other things. But if they break those agreements, then there is a consequence. Hmm. You know, it's, it's, uh, like Tom, it's like we spoke about a while back about uh, self-expression. And I can only imagine mm-hmm. how, how, Ben, you had to create those, those guardrails for the Fijian guys because self-expression is everything and the way they express themselves is out on the field. And obviously, but you sort of need to create more so barriers for them than you would for most other players because, I mean, their freedom of thought and the way they play with such, uh, you know, a, passion and enjoyment through the game is that there's again it's all like i don't want to make it too cliche but it's a high risk game of rugby but they absolutely love playing that game of rugby for most of us scares the shit out of us trying to play that game of rugby yeah that's it you have to have you have to have the standard and and agreement so you know with fiji we lost games where we chucked an offload to an opposition player and and made a mistake and and like you then have to make sure that you stand up and say well look you know we agreed these you know, like Oscar would say, you live by the sword, you die by it, but you just try and make that sword uh, sharper. And, and so, yeah, everything has to, and everything has to be agreed, you know, um, so that there's ownership on, of, of your culture. Hmm. So, so, so Ben and Kyle, what, um, I think the, the Blitzbox, uh, that Kyle, you were part of for so long, are a national treasure for us. You know, they're just high achieving, high performing team. And Ben, I'm sure they were gave you nightmares from time to time. And Kyle, I'm sure Ben's England and Fijian side gave you nightmares as well. Um, but my sense is, and you've got 
the box that were quite structured, um, you, yeah, very rigid, quite structured, but highly excellent, high intensity versus the Fijians who probably less about structure, obviously agreements, but less about structure, but about flair, flamboyance, obviously amazing athletic ability. Um, what were you looking at, Ben, when you were playing against Kyle's teams as their strength, particularly strong points you need to be wary of and where you thought you could break them down? Yeah, so what we were wary of um, was that they, they, they were suffocating as, as a defensive unit and every breakdown you went into, you had to be razor sharp in or you, you were going to lose the ball. And that their set piece often would um, be very well oiled and would give them some options that if you didn't have it covered defensively, you were going to struggle and they, they would occasionally bring in something new as well as having something like you knew it was coming, like the kick, the long kick where, you know, they would put pressure on that on that pod and suffocate you and push you towards your goal line and those sort of things. And actually, you probably didn't realise, Carl, but, but probably I'd say 20% of our preparation for the Olympic Games in those 10 weeks beforehand was around a South African game plan. We, we, were, we were pretty sure we'd have to play you to win gold medal. And so we had a different plan against you, particularly to negate your kicking threat um, some of your set piece stuff. So we had a different line out policy. We were one, running um, two and four man line outs. We had two sweepers. We had an attacking sweeper that we were playing around with. All these various things that we were going to throw onto our game plan if we did get to play you guys in the Olympics, knowing that we knew that you had some threats that we would struggle to contain if you got it right. Um, and then we never got to find out if it would have worked anyway. Um, uh, but but I guess that shows you like the we didn't do that with any of the other teams. Um, yeah. That you were the only team that we spent time doing that for. Um, and I guess it shows you the respect that 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 we had for you guys. That you know you gave us a couple of real pastings, particularly in Wellington one year in a in a semi final. Um, and um, and yeah, you know it was um, it was very much a case of playing against against the the box. You had to. You had to look after the ball, keep the ball for large proportions of time, still play your offloading game. And we thought we had height over, over, over them. So, um, <laughs> often when you're, to think that. <laughs> when we're, when, when we were, when you're playing as a coach, when you're playing, coaching a team as an attack, attacking coach, um, you often talk about the space in front between attack and defense. You talk about the space outside, talk about the space in between defenders and you talk about the space behind, but you never really talk about the space above. But we mm. did have players that can operate in that area, like yeah. the Kunitanis and Nakarawas. So they would operate above. And so when we were playing against you guys, if you watch some of the videos, you'll see that a lot of our offloads were high offloads, high outside offloads, because we just felt we'd use use that that as a as a you know. And if we got that game going, then it would stop you competing at breakdowns. It would stop giving you your line speed, and it would stop allowing you your set piece to or your penalties to slow and and control the game. That's so we um, we had. Uh... I think it was probably it was probably Paul that began like trying to pick apart Fiji and trying to figure out where on earth we can we can break them apart. And we Paul got quite deep into Paul True, the our previous yeah, coach, yeah. got into. Um, no, I'm still in touch about, with Paul a lot. <laughs> again, this is this is not for you. This is for the the greater audience. Otherwise, Tom's yeah. going to give me gears okay. afterwards for announcing <laughs> names. Um, he got into brain profiling, talking about where different teams sit in the brain, uh, you know, brain profile spectrum. And we would be sort of left side brain structured and organized where Fiji would be far upper right where everything is, I think, what do you call it? Um, 
uh, like like white cloud thinking where everything is freedom and and it was all about whenever we played you or it was even it was before your time but I mean it carried on was to take you out of that thought process so that's why everything was immensely more structured when we played Fiji whereas other teams we could you know try and move between the structure and the, the freedom and the loose play against Fiji you don't play in their game you don't play in Fiji's loose game I think 2011 we beat Fiji in the final in London um, I don't know if you remember that game but we had mm. in the in the lead up to that we had got Rossi in to training camp and we did four and five man lineouts with rolling malls from that. I remember, I remember <laughs> it, yeah. And we would we would play a game plan between one touchline and the first pole. You know, where you you pick and go, pick and go, yeah. pick and go, pick yeah. and go, and it was all about maintaining possession and wearing the Fijian guys out. And we actually scored off. We would very nearly scored off one of the, the malls. We scored off another mall, and then we scored off the pick and go game plan. And we ended up winning that game. But I'll tell yeah. you what, we went up, and you go up through the stands to collect your trophy. And I was the last person to collect the to, to collect the, the trophy, and and um, Beth Beth handed me the trophy, and she she looks at me and she goes, "Well done, but please don't do that again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old Beth. Yeah, who's I, Beth? I don't think, who's Beth? Uh, so Beth Coulter was what was her role, Ben? But I mean, she was like she was the tournament of guy, sevens. Yeah, tournament director, right? For okay. uh, and she used to be in charge of the Hong Kong sevens. Um, Sadly, she passed away um, uh, fairly recently and, you know, she was one of the architects on getting us to the Olympics. I don't think we would have uh, done it if it wasn't for her. Um, and she was just so nice to everybody, right? You know, yeah. and uh, she understood all of our, our our woes and our sorrows if we lost games or won games. Okay. No, she was awesome. Uh, it, was, it was just a funny moment. I'll never forget. I'll never, ever forget that she said to me, well done, but please don't do that again. And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the only way we can beat Fiji at the moment. Ben, would you, would you coach South Africa? Uh, oh, man, at the moment, I'm, you know, happy in London. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. I, I'm getting itchy feet again, but more probably in 15s. Um, South Africa, you know, I've lucky enough, obviously, gone there for sevens. I've toured there. Um, as well with school teams um, and uh, it's an amazing it's an amazing country and yeah you'd love at some point to have a stint in South Africa um, much like I'd like to have a crack at Kenya probably as well um, and see see what we've what you could do with with that talent in the sevens and there's a few nations like that you'd kind of quite like to to try to see if you can influence in any way. Hmm. I suppose I suppose I should have qualified my question my sense is that there's a there's simplicity is a big thing of yours, but also freedom and flair. Um, and do you think that that style is applicable to all num any number of cultures, or do you think you Ben Ryan would have to adapt if you were in South Africa or you were in New Zealand or somewhere else? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I think my philosophy is to keep the ball alive, and uh, I'm not a fan of um, coach led plays that have don't have options. So. Like again, it's like you know, there's there's a big difference between having six 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 plays phases set up um, if they're all regulated and everybody's told exactly where to go, or six phases where they've got a multitude, a plethora of different options that the players can choose. That's that's you know where I would be sit on that. So that's where you'd modify things a little bit, and and like with anything in attack. Um, you know, it's about surprise. So if you're known as an attacking team that likes to throw the ball around and offload and play 
an, a high tempo game, then occasionally you need to do the opposite. Um, so, so I think it's just about picking your tools to, like Carl said, like they pick their tools to win that final appropriately. It might not have been exactly where they wanted to, but it played to strengths to beat that enemy. Um, and and so my yeah, underlying philosophy: keep the ball alive, excite the people that are watching the game, and have fun doing it. But um, it, it's not quite as much fun if you're not winning. Yeah, so we, we, we're starting to run, run down a time here. Uh, I suppose a question to both of you. You're sitting before the Olympic final. Um, a lot of people talk about, you know, you've got certain strengths as a team. Don't change. Don't deviate from your strengths. Uh, stick to those things. But then I heard you saying, well, we actually had a whole separate game plan to beat the box. Um, I was watching something yesterday talking about how Eddie Jones had devised the whole plan to beat the All Blacks, um, which maybe goes away. So there's some nuance around sticking to your strengths, but also being clever. Maybe just explain how you view that nuance. Yeah, like I think it's it's always like I prefer to look at what, what we do rather than what the opposition do. But you'd be a fool not to have a look at, at the tactics and techniques that an opposition are employing, A, to see if you can you can turn that into your own strength and beat to negate it. Um, so like we were the only team that didn't have a performance analyst. Um, I let the boys and myself do it all us. You know, it wasn't by the end, it wasn't because of economy. We could afford one. I just thought, you know what? Sevens is an easy game, seven minutes each way. If you can't watch a game and work out what the opposition are doing and you're doing, then you're in the wrong game. And over analysis, I think sometimes can can work against you in sevens. Um, but you still look at some some various areas of the game and go okay where can we get some change here off kickoff off off counter ruck off starter plays to to surprise or to play upon or weakness of a team so great britain you know we 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 knew that their kickoff uh, defensive structure was had holes um and we knew that they they would be susceptible to the counter ruck same for usa um and so you so you put your you tinker with your game plan a little bit but the majority of it is about you Whereas with South Africa, we weren't going to change um, too much in attack, except some of our starter plays around the line out if we had them. But um, defensively, we had to modify seriously what we were what we were planning on doing, just because of the multiple threats and their ability to both keep ball and their aerial and their kicking game. Then emo- emotionally, yeah. Sorry, go for cut. I think doesn't it doesn't also come down to preparation, you know? So I mean. When you prepare better, when like like Ben was saying, he he had prepared something, uh, I suppose, not particularly unique. A couple tweaks and changes, if they had to have met us in in the final. But it's not outside of what you're capable of, what the guys are capable of, and and just preparing that and running it through and practicing it a couple of times allows them to do that with more competency than just saying to them, uh, well, you know, we're progressing through this tournament. In two games time, we might meet uh, X. And now we have to change our game plan that way. And that becomes more of a surprise for teams. Whereas if you can spend a bit of time in the weeks leading up to that and it becomes it's a far more relaxed environment and uh, you know, then you can start experimenting with the different players and the different ways to, um, uh, to, to counter their abilities. One thing we found very difficult was to actually have our own teammates run the way an England plays or an, uh, a USA plays because that's what ideally what you want. You want to be listen. Yeah. You are now USA. Go play the way that USA plays. 
Yeah, yeah. So we found that impossible, you know, and that was one challenge for us when we we're trying to prepare for other teams. Yeah, that's it's difficult, isn't it, to replicate that? Um, and and sometimes like you, it it won't they won't end up getting it'll, it'll go on the cutting floor because you know I've wanted to bring in dynamic um, up rucks I used to call them, where it's um, someone staying on their feet and creating a mini mall with with a second person and you've got a lot of movement off that and it's dynamic yeah. and everyone's on their feet. Um, we never quite got to grips with it, so we never, we never just, we never got it into the international arena. I haven't given up on it. I still think it would work, but but <laughs> it just wasn't good enough to kind of to take to the next step. It it almost shows you it exposes how sort of programmed we are in certain things in certain areas of the game. You know, mm. yeah, trying to come into a breakdown to stay on your feet to 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 do that was we they found it really difficult, and I tried it with England as well, and it was um, they couldn't they couldn't do it either. Yeah. Two final questions. I've never won an Olympic gold. Carl, you got a bronze. Ben, Dirty you've got gold. an Olympic. Teddy gold. You've got an Olympic gold. Can you take us into confidence? What was your pre-match speech before the Olympic final to a bunch of guys who you know when they're smiling they're winning? Yeah, look, it's it's easy really. I did have one planned and I had practiced it and done it in the mirror and ready to go. And I I kind of think I can tell some good pre-match stuff sometimes but I got into the changing rooms they were smiling they were laughing they were doing their body language was positive and I realized that if I said anything it would only be for my benefit so I, I just said have fun and off I went and and that was that shit that's magic eh like, how cool is that eh? that's just incredible yeah. ha- have fun great um Ben last question if you had 60 seconds to give a presentation what would the contents of that presentation be I would talk about as quickly as I can about setting up your guardrails. So imagine like these boxes we're talking on in Zoom now, they're your guardrails, you know, and inside of that, I'd want to foster um, safety in conversation, security, autonomy, belief, purpose, um, status, um, and and making sure that, you know, that is consistently applied and, and talk about that a little bit and know that if anybody breaks your black and white, that's everyone's agreed, then you don't protect them from the consequences of your... Of, of their actions and that it's about connecting consistent behavior to success um yeah Tom. there's a lot of da- there was a lot of david brent office type statements <laughs> there in that 60 seconds i can just see you marching in with your hi-fi and uh, yeah no no no, no. Tom, it was, it Tom, was, i think we've got a problem, problem with people uh, having listened to one or two of the podcasts before they're starting to prepare these questions they like. prepare that was that was <laughs> slick that was the slickest 60 seconds yeah couple of the first guests just sort of bought time by going, well, what do you mean by that? You know? <laughs> um, ben, absolutely a privilege to chat to you. Wonderful. Um, I, on a personal level, hope to be able to keep in touch with you and, and learn a little bit more and share some ideas. It's, it was really, really great listening to you. Carl, anything from your side? Yeah, I think, Ben, we were chatting earlier about uh, things are, are pretty standstill at the moment. But, uh, you know, hopefully I'm getting back to Ireland at some point. But I'd love to, to pop over to London and give me another great reason to get there and uh, to catch up. And even if it's around Rugby X, I mean, that was a pretty groundbreaking tournament last year. And it would be very interesting to see what happens going forward. Um, I suppose on today, this was, this was awesome, man. Thank you. I haven't got an opportunity to talk to too many people that... We were in the same sort of work environment for so many years uh, and, and this has been a lot of fun. So thanks a lot. No, that's it. No, no, no. Same here. I've really enjoyed this conversation and, I, and I've, I've learned lots as well. So yeah, I'd love to stay in touch with you guys and uh, thank you very much for inviting me on. 
Carl, a guy that um, tried to plot your downfall for so many years. Um, your 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 take on your take on what we've just discussed. Uh, Tom, this has um, this for me has justified why we're doing this. Like to be able mm. to speak to Ben, somebody who I competed against so many years, and just to get a little bit of insight into the thought process and the different strategies and the different lines of planning that they went on it's so cool man so i'm so glad we had this conversation he's um his trip to fiji seems to have completely changed his life well i mean obviously it did they won a gold medal in the olympics but just the thought you know the way he thinks about living uh you know the way he thinks about coaching everything seems to have changed a little bit I mean, obviously he's the, the, the foundation of his learning came from his time with england and he, mm. he implemented so well in fiji and uh, yeah life is life is better now yeah Mm. Yeah, no, cool. I mean, I, I I was fascinated by his look. He's got a sense of purpose. He's got a, yeah. He's got a real. He's got a. He's got a drive in him. Um, all the little things that you know, wanting to work with state school kids, not liking the sort of the RFU, you know, the the, the proper RFU, um, sticking it out in Fiji, not being pushed away by a, a dictator and a murderer, as he as he put it. Um, there was definitely a sense of the. The toughness in his life, probably even from his upbringing, I think has fueled him. Um, I saw it. We saw it a couple of weeks ago with Sia, yeah. um, and we we I, we see it a lot. Uh, these people who have got a real sense of purpose, and when that purpose links with the right opportunity, I, I think he might battle in a place like um, in a different place, in a different environment where yeah. everything is perfect and nice. Maybe a a sail sharks or something like that. You know, well, carefully um, he might just but, start getting rid of all those people. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> but but I yeah I, I I that sense of purpose was there. He, look, he's obviously thought through his method and his ways of doing things, which I liked, um, and definitely someone that I think we will watch out for. Uh, he said he got an itch. There's no doubt in my mind that he's coaching again. <laughs> huh? He's uh, been coaching already. He's been coaching. I'm pretty sure he's been consulting to more and more people. And yeah, you know, once it gets a little back. too itchy, he's gonna find himself a, a spot. The, the, you're talking about purpose it's amazing how people with purpose exhibit like a, an extreme sense of calm about everything that they do like Sia was the same a couple of weeks ago um, and Ben he's just so relaxed so calm but so driven and so clear on exactly what he wants to do and achieve mm. no absolutely great find lovely to get someone from Sevens uh, to, to for you to, to feel comfortable with but um, yeah thanks Carl and uh, yeah look forward to next week Awesome. Have a good week, Tom. You too. Bye.